I am from rural America. I've said it before, and I'm probably going to say it again in the future. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about it. I'm Justin Sharp, and this is The Sharp Side of the World. All right, so before we get into the body of today's episode, I want to make an announcement about the previous episode, and I think it's actually very important, and I want to get it out of the way before we go too far into the podcast in terms of episodes. So it has been brought to my attention by my ag teacher, Mr. Waldron, that in the last few episodes, I may have seemed like I was lumping all people on each side of the aisle together, which I definitely was not. In episode one, I didn't mean to say that all Democrats and or all Republicans were becoming more radical. There are very loud radicals on each side, but the majority of both parties are still fairly moderate. There is a distinction between leftists and radicals on the left, and liberals and moderates. Just like on the right, there is a difference between alt-righters, who are racist and terrible people, and conservatives, who are more generic right-wingers. Also, if I sounded like I called all Democrats idiots or stupid, I didn't really mean to, and I don't think I did, but if I did come off that way... What I meant to say was that nearly all the Democrats at the State of the Union made themselves look like idiots by not cheering. And I think I called some of their policies stupid, and I will stand by that. So, with that in mind, today's episode is going to be far less political unless you are radically urban. And today's episode is all about agriculture and how it is being squashed as an industry from multiple angles. So, before I get into the details of how it is getting squashed as an industry, I first want to go through a little bit of my background for some context. I'm only 16, but I do think I have a fair amount of knowledge on this issue just from my upbringing and the things I participate in today in high school. So I was born and raised in the giant city of Fort Rock, Oregon with a population of 15 people. Fort Rock is part of a larger community in North Lake County, Oregon that has about 3,000 people. So the school I go to is 1A and has about 250 kids, grades K through 12. Not just in high school, grades K through 12. There's about 15 kids in my class. Very, very small. Literally every one of my family members and extended family members involved in agriculture. My mom and her parents own and work on an alfalfa farm and cattle ranch that spans out over tens of thousands of acres. And my dad owns about 45 head of his own cows and builds fence all over the state for ranchers. His parents own about 150 head of cows, and a fair amount of my aunts and uncles are also involved in agriculture, uh, whether it be farming and or ranching. So I personally have worked on my grandparents' alfalfa farm for about three years now, Um, and their ranch and I've also helped my other grandparents on their ranch and I'm also enrolled in many ag classes in my little school so I'm a very proactive FFA member along with that I'm a very proactive FFA member Uh, I serve two different offices on both the district and chapter level looking to make it to state soon Um, and not to do my own horn but I'm pretty deeply involved in this issue with that all said here are a few ways that farmers are getting squashed the first major way is economically which is also probably the biggest way To understand this, one must first understand the structure of the ag economy, which is not a very good one for producers of raw materials like farmers and ranchers. First and foremost, farmers are not price setters for their products. They oftentimes are given very little options with a very small price range uh, for customers, as in who wants to buy their products that they make, if they have any choices at all, really. A rancher like my grandparents or my aunt or my uncle typically don't sell their calves at a set price, but they go to an auction or a cattle buyer who offers them a rate, and if the rancher doesn't like it, the cattle buyer just doesn't buy it. And almost all of agriculture is this way. So basically how this works is if you walk into Walmart and you want to buy a bag of Doritos for, say, 3 bucks, that's a set price on that bag of Doritos that you have to pay if you want it. The way it works, It's basically backwards for agriculture. 
if with agricultural, if you walked into Walmart, basically you would say, I want to buy your Doritos for four bucks. And the rancher would say, nah, I have way too much money into it. And that's how it is. So that's how agricultural is. But oftentimes um, they get lowballed and they don't make a profit. So the second biggest factor in economic strain for farmers is the huge amount of initial investment required to grow a crop or raise an animal. Agriculturalists need land, not cheap. The average ag land in the United States is estimated to sell for over $4,000 per acre. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of acres. Agriculturalists need raw materials like seed or mother cows to grow things. And agriculturalists need catalysts for growth. These things like water, fertilizer, hay grain, and especially labor, they're not cheap at all. A well for water or water aids can cost thousands of dollars to set up and is vital to an operation. Feed for animals can cost thousands of dollars every month, and that can go on for over a year in some cases. Labor, while usually paying cheap wages on farms, has a high number of hours, which makes it very, very expensive. An even more expensive investment needed to get the job done is equipment and tools. Once again, costing thousands, and in the case of tractors, hundreds of thousands of dollars. All of this expense just for a price that farmers can't set a sale, and it comes in a lump sum at the end of year. It's not even like it's a steady income. These markets also aren't particularly stable. The cattle market in the last decade, for example, has seen both an all-time high and multiple low points that made it almost unsustainable for most ranchers. Soy and wheat markets, especially from tariffs, has gone from being good to being very low and is driving farmers out of business as we speak. The next big source of pressure on agriculture is urbanization and an uneducated population, in ag especially, where inner cities don't, play, make, don't, get, they don't give ag a good name. People who don't know any better tend to lump together corporate factory farming, which I would agree is probably not the best way to do it, with olive farming. So, for example, the USDA said that the vast majority of farms and ranches are still family-owned in the United States, making this not true. And education is an increasing problem in the United States, which is really shown by a statistic that says, this is going to blow your mind, 48% of Americans don't know and don't seek to know where their food comes from and how it is produced. Only 2% of Americans are farmers and ranchers or producers, and most of the other 98% have little knowledge on what is going on with the 2%. All this uneducation leads to consumers wanting unique foods that don't really make sense and have no benefit like antibiotic-free meat or organic crops, which is much more expensive for farmers to produce and doesn't make them any money when the people they're selling to don't want to pay more. So uneducation is not the only problem with urbanization. Growing cities are also taking up more farmland, which once again drives farmers out of business. As cities grow outward into farmland, the farmland is bought up for development, which reduces the supply, increasing the demand, and raising prices. This obviously isn't like a huge factor. I mean, it's not like farmers aren't going to exist in the next 10 years because of growing cities, but it's just something to think about, and it's a factor nonetheless. The third largest source of squashing of agriculture is through government pressures, which is kind of applied to all businesses in this case, but um, agriculture is being hit by it too. The leading of these regulations is the climate change and emissions regulations, and I actually spoke extensively about this in a speech I presented last week in an FFA event. So there are two main ways emissions regulations are hurting farmers and ranchers. The first is by direct regulation on agriculture. So in the category of direct regulation, we have things like cap and trade, fuel taxes, and over-regulation on things like pollution. Cap and trade, for starters, makes farmers and ranchers pay a tax on all the carbon they have to produce, which is a pretty huge amount when you're running things like tractors, and it adds to the enormous expenses of growing a yield just to not get paid for as much as you put into it in some cases. So higher fuel prices due to taxation does the same exact thing. It makes the prices to grow something more, and it doesn't raise the price to sell it. 
In fact, here in Oregon, we nearly had cap and trade and 17 cents more of a fuel tax all in one, which would have been hazardous. Pollution regulations also put stress on agriculture, but they're a little more complicated. So in my opinion, pollution regulations are something that is definitely needed. We obviously don't need tons of fertilizer being dumped into rivers and lakes without any repercussions or punishment, but we also don't need to be too strict. For example, it's very unnecessary to have a multi-month long permit process just to get irrigation water or to use other natural resources just to protect the environment. It's an inefficient method and is an expensive method and it wastes a lot of time for farmers that they don't always have in their work. The second kind of regulation, like I, uh, I guess I didn't mention it, the second kind of regulation is indirect regulation, which almost entirely applies to emissions. Uh, the first is regulation on auto equipment manufacturers to make their products um, have less carbon. For example, diesel manufacturers now have to use uh, DEF and EGR systems and other expensive exhaust systems to uh, lessen the amount of carbon being put out, which means these companies have to spend money on R&D to do this. So the price of the pickups and trucks and tractors goes up, and guess what? The farmer pays nearly all of it, along with trucking companies who actually are hired by farmers oftentimes to haul commodities, which still makes it tougher for the farmer because the trucking company can raise their prices, but the farmer can't. There are also regulations on fuel taxes, uh, like I mentioned before, that are both indirect and direct because everybody is paying that higher tax. Um, so the last major point of regulation that is suffocating American farmers today is a pretty big one that is federal tariffs, specifically with China and the trade war. Over the last three years, the trade war with China has seen a plunge in exports, a massive reduction in sales, and for some products, a recent high of bankruptcies in the producers. Well, this is starting to ease a little bit with the phase one deal by the president, his tariffs are still detrimental to agriculture. Since 2017, that's only three years ago, China went from buying 78% of U.S.'s coarse grains to a mere 33%. That is an insane drop in economics. Soybeans went from 57 to 43%, and rawhides like uh, leather and things like that went from $50 to $37. All not good. So as you can see, ag is being pushed from all sides. The structure of the ag economy will always be a problem unless something changes massively, which means pressures on it from uneducated consumers and governments does not help in the least bit. So now you're probably going, hey, Justin, you've been complaining about this for 15 minutes now. Can you just propose some solutions so we can get past this? Yeah, I can because that's how problems are solved. So the number one solution to all of these problems comes in the form of education, which is actually the solution to a lot of problems. But in this case, more specifically, ag education. I'm from a very rural community, so I obviously don't have a lot of, say, experience in huge schools where ag education is being um, done a little bit, but I am an FFA, and I know kids that are in FFA from huge 6A schools like Portland, and they say it makes all the difference in some cases. I've met kids from metropolitan Portland, as in right in the city, who are in FFA, and they actually do understand the problems that cities are causing for agriculture just because they've been educated a little bit about it. Um, Blue-collar education, and by that I mean like career tech and vocational education, would fix a lot of these issues by showing people that there's a whole other world besides city economies. People who really get this are people like Mike Rowe, who have lived in cities literally their entire lives, but they understand the importance of branching out and seeing places that aren't exactly what they're used to. Career tech ed and vocational education does exactly that when it shows kids trades and hands-on work that happens in rural America rather than city schools and desks. Um, this is why I was pretty ecstatic when President Trump and the State of the Union talked about this, so I was really glad to see that. The final thing that can solve these issues is louder voices from farmers and ranchers themselves. 
I would say that about 80% of the time when outside sources pressure agriculture, it's because farmers and ranchers won't speak up and argue their side of the issue and defend themselves. I mean, it's pretty hard to be loud when you're only 2% of the population, but you still can do it. In the climate change debate, you rarely hear from farmers and ranchers who would be crippled by a carbon tax. You just hear about the herd economy in general. Protests like the ones that have happened in Salem, Oregon recently over the carbon tax and cap and trade are actually great to get the word out as it or for what is happening in rural America. I know it's kind of hard on the national level because obviously in Oregon we have a lot of rural areas and in the national level um, it's hard because they're so outpopulated, um, but it, it does help. For those listening, if you don't know what happened um, in Salem, there's been two organized protests, I think, where there's been literally hundreds of trucks, tractors, and other heavy equipment, maybe even over a thousand, um, just driving around on the streets in Salem to protest heavy regulations that are going to hurt agriculture. So that was mainly what I wanted to talk about in today's episode. It's a rising problem that I've been hearing about a lot lately and been asked about uh, in FFA, so I figured I'd discuss it on the podcast and kind of clear it up. So I mentioned that louder, get ready for a cheesy ad pitch here. So I mentioned that louder voices from agriculture can solve this problem, and you listening could directly help do that by sponsoring the podcast. I've said in the past that here on the sharp side of the world, we're running on a pretty tight budget, and that holds true to this day. So if you want to make us both a little extra cash by advertising, just contact me, N-I-T-S-U-J, that's my name backwards, nitsudge, 2203 at gmail.com for email, razor with an O underscore sharp 2203 on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook, Justin Sharp. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Sharp Side of the World. I'm Justin Sharp, and I will talk to you next episode.